0: We're only going to be focusing on really the first slide of that reading today. When I first started looking at it, I thought, yeah, we'll be able to cover all of this. But once I started writing, putting my sermon together, I very quickly realized that I was going to have to take it over two weeks. But I still wanted to have that whole section there and just think of it as a two-part message. Sometimes when we read the Bible, there's parts of it where it's quite difficult to understand. And so far in the book of Romans... It's been deep. How have you found it? Has it been deep? There's been some pretty heavy stuff there. And I've been depending pretty heavily on the Holy Spirit for the gift of teaching over the last six months to... Six months? Or however long it is that we've been in Romans to to try and explain the depth of of what Romans is covering. But I'm sort of suspecting that you didn't really have too much trouble with the reading there today, did you? There's nothing particularly difficult to understand. Sometimes with Bible readings, the difficulty isn't in understanding it. The difficulty is in doing it. And um, so in those times, we probably need the gift of exhortation because sometimes we know the right thing to do, but we just need somebody to encourage us and to push us on to actually be doing what is the right thing to be doing. When Jesus taught, he very often focused his teaching on the kingdom of God. And that's pretty much where Paul's taken us today. He doesn't use that phrase, the kingdom of God, um, but what he's describing to us today is very much in line with the kingdom of God that Jesus taught about. Now, we know Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. You, You know that, hey? Yes, we pray your kingdom come. And when we pray that prayer, when we pray your kingdom come, yes, we are praying for Jesus to return in all of his glory and all of his power and all of his might and in his righteous judgment. But we're also praying for something a bit more personal and a bit more immediate. We're also praying, Lord, bring about your kingdom in my life. Uh, Holy Spirit, Fill me with your presence and power and love. Make my heart to be like your heart. Make my ways to be like your ways. Lord, may I become not only a citizen of your kingdom, but may I be a servant of your kingdom and an ambassador of your kingdom right here in this place where I live, representing all that your kingdom is, being good and holy and true. But we're also praying not just for this personally, there's, there's something about a togetherness in this prayer. Because when we pray, we don't pray my Father in heaven, do we? We've been taught to pray our Father in heaven. This is a prayer that we hold together as a church. And so when we pray, we're praying corporately. We're praying, Lord, your kingdom come in this church. Lord, may, may we as your church... Be an expression of your glorious kingdom right here on this earth, right in this place where you've put us. There's a lot wrapped up in that prayer, your kingdom come. Now, what we read today is almost like Paul's version of the Sermon on the Mount. It paints a wonderful picture of kingdom living. It's about relationships within the church. But it also extends to our relationships with others as well. But it's primarily talking about the relationship between Christians. And I don't know about you, but when I read that reading, it actually leaves me feeling just a little bit inadequate. Um, It's like, I don't know if I'm up to this. It's setting this great vision before us of what the kingdom of God is meant to be like, of of the way that we should be relating with one another. And it's telling all of this of how we should be. And I know that it's the right thing to do, but to me it almost seems impossible. Well, it it might be possible for a few of you particularly godly folk, um, but for me, I know that I'm going to have trouble with it. And if we set out to try and achieve this as an ethic and a moral code by which we get right with God, and, and this is the way that we're going to get right with God, then we're doomed to failure before we even begin. Because what Paul is describing here is not our own personal action. What Paul is describing is a miracle of God. It's the miracle of the transformation that God does in his children. It's the transformation that he's doing in us. Uh, It's this thing called living by the Spirit. He fills us with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to change us, begins to change who we are. It changes how we behave. He changes how we relate to others. What he's describing is this living sacrifice that we are to be, which is our worship of God. You see, in God's mercy, he saves us despite all of our sin. And he doesn't save us so that our corrupt minds can take us right back into a life of sin again. God is determined to do better than that with us. God is determined to do better than that with you and better than that with me. Did you know that? God is determined to change you, to make you more like his Son. And you'll be very pleased to know that he's also determined to change me. And you're probably sitting there thinking, well, I wish he'd hurry up. Well, yeah, I wish he'd hurry up too. But he changes us gradually and makes us more and more like himself. So you've got an old, corrupt, sinful mind? No problem. God renews the mind. Your old life was full of violence or bitterness or envy or selfishness. And you know that doesn't fit into the kingdom of God? No problem. Because he transforms our lives as well. He takes us through a metamorphosis from our old life, our old way of living to this new life. And we learned about that a few weeks ago when we began Romans chapter 12. I didn't realise how long we've been in chapter 12. Um, We've been here a while. And the primary change, the biggest change, the first change, the most important change that God makes in us is this miracle of love and all of the other commands that we read about today that might seem so impossible all hinge on this one crucial transformation let love be genuine that's the key to it all genuine love whether our love is genuine or not determines whether what we read today is going to be something which is difficult and almost impossible to achieve or whether it is just simply a natural expression of that love that we have for one another, that genuine love. Now, I just love the way this is phrased. Um, In the version we read today, it says, let love be genuine. In the Greek, it says, the love and hypocritos. Um, which literally means the love, not hypocritical. And um, what does that mean? Well, I told you it's easy today. It means exactly what it says. It's not hard to understand. What it's getting at is God has given us love. He has filled us with love. And God's love is real. There's nothing false about God's love. There's nothing hypocritical about God's love. And so this love that God is pumping into us is the same love that overflows from us. And it's the love that we show to one another. It is this same genuine love unhypocritical love, real love. So, I'm going to ask this question a couple of times today. Do we allow ourselves to really love each other? Do we? Or is it a pretend love that we have? Is our love a mask that we put on on a Sunday morning when we come to church so that we can appear all godly and spiritual, so that we can look like we're one great big happy family? Or is it real? Is this love we have, is it real? And do we allow it to be real in all of its completeness or are we holding it back? Do we allow ourselves to love to the full extent of the love that God has given us? Or would that seem just a, a little bit too unseemly? You know, we, we don't want to go too far with this love thing. You know, goodness knows what we might do if we love everybody as much as God loves us. Are we real with our love? And, or are we holding it back? How do we know if our love is genuine or if it's hypocritical? Well, I reckon 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a pretty good litmus test of love. Um, now, you all know 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've probably heard it read at many a wedding. It goes like this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's no wonder they read it at weddings, hey? It's actually talking about love in a church, though. And it's particularly talking about love with the use of our spiritual gifts. But that's what genuine love looks like. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Do you get that? That last bit's important. By this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's our Christian witness. Love. So the people of the community would say, look at that church there. Look at the way they love each other. Look at the way they care for each other. It's real. It's not false what they're doing. And that's what Paul is telling us. Let love be genuine. Don't be false about it. Don't pretend to love one another. Don't hold it back. Let it be real. Let it be full. Let it be com- complete. And we love each other in all of our vulnerability. Did you know you make yourself vulnerable when you love completely? Completely. when Because you've actually got to let other people into your life. For it's to be a community of love. We have to be a community of people who share the highs and the lows. A community of people who don't just present the good side of things, but who are willing to cry out and say, this is really going bad at the moment. And the whole community can gather around and pray and care and love. Did you know those who have most trouble loving are very often those who have never known what it's like to be loved themselves. It's very hard to love somebody else if you've never been loved yourself. And if you're having trouble loving others, that may be saying something about your relationship with God. Because the more we realise the love that God has for us and the more we understand this love and the more, the deeper that we go into this love of God, the more we'll be able to love others. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Righto. Genuine love does not overlook evil. If a parent loves their children, they will discipline their children and teach them right from wrong. Hey, all right, a a parent who genuinely loves their children will not overlook their misbehavior. And for love to be genuine in a church means a church will not overlook evil either. To abhor what is evil means. To be repulsed by evil to be horrified by evil now we live in a time when good and evil seem to be getting reinterpreted by our world Um, what once used to be called pride is now called a healthy self-image what once used to be called murder or infanticide is now called a woman's choice what once used to be called greed is now called a clever investment What once used to be called an abomination is now being called a loving relationship. What once used to be called disrespect is now being called a free spirit. There are a lot of things which once used to be unquestionably recognised as being evil. But the world now tells us that these things are good. And despite any reinterpretation of what the world says is good and evil, genuine love holds fast to what God says is good and it abhors, it is repulsed by what God says is evil. Now, you may very often be made to be feel guilty um, if you are repulsed by something in the world. And you might get accused of being intolerant or afraid of what you do not understand or a bit bigoted about it all. But the simple fact of the matter is genuine love for God and genuine love for others does not overlook evil. It abhors evil. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now I'm pretty sure I've told you this before. Uh, but in the Greek New Testament, there are three different types of love. Um, we in our English language just have the one word that brings them all together and confuses everything. Um, so, like, I love my wife, but I also love T-bone steak. It's sort of like they're not that they're not the same thing, are they? I don't know if I could possibly go without a T-bone. No. Um, <laughs> I love my wife very much, don't I? Very, very much. Okay, so in the Greek New Testament, there's three different words for love. The first word is eros, from which we get our word erotic. All right, so it's boy meets girl, girl meets boy. Boy falls in love with girl, girl falls in love with boy. Boy starts having these gooey feelings about girl. I don't need to go any further, do I? You understand what eros love is. Okay. Okay. The second type of love is philio love, uh, which is the family type of love or a friendship type of love. Uh, and in, in the reading here, uh, verse 10, it, it, the, the word used there is actually Philadelphia. Now, that's a combination of two words. It's a combination of the word philio, meaning love, and delphos, meaning brother. So Philadelphia means brotherly love so you've all heard of the city called Philadelphia that means city of brotherly love I don't know if that's if it's living up to its name or not Um, but phileo is this family or friendship type of love then the third type of love is agape love or agape love depending on who taught you to speak Greek uh, which is the sort of love that God has for us it's not so much a feeling. It's an act of the will. It's a sacrificial, self-giving love. It's a love that costs us dearly. And so, back in verse 9, where it said, let love be genuine, it's talking about this agape love. Agape love. It's this sacrificial love. It's this love that God has for us. And he's saying, let this love be genuine. Yes, it is an act of the will, but it has to be real. But now in verse 10, we come to this different type of love. Phileo love. He's talking about this family type of love. And here's a truth for us. Within the church, our love for one another shouldn't, merely be just an act of the will it shouldn't just be i will love this person and i'm going to love them even if i hate it you know what i mean it it shouldn't only be that it should be also this feeling of love that we have for close family this feeling of love that we have for close friends why because we are close family we are blood brothers. We are blood sisters. We have been made brothers and sisters in Christ through the shedding of our Lord's blood. You are my family. And I love you. Have a bit of a look around at your family, folks. Yeah, yeah they say, well, you can choose your friends, you can't choose your family. Right, you're stuck with them. But don't you love them? I hope you do. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Did you know international incidents escalate? because they sort of just niggle each other, right? We'll have to have a controlled but strong response to this, and things just get worse and worse and worse. You've seen that happen internationally, haven't you? Let's think of the South China Sea at the moment, right? China wants to flex its muscles here a bit, and, and the US says, no, we won't, and so they sort of pass their ships through there, and, and China goes, right, well, we're going to build some islands, so they build some islands there, and and, and they go, right, well, we're going to maintain our right for navigation and so they pass their warships through and and so then the Chinese might buzz them with a few jets and and of course it it won't be too long until there's a few bullets fired things just escalate don't they we try to outdo one another and and of course you've all seen this on the level with children haven't you like um Johnny calls Freddie a name Freddie calls Johnny a worse name. So Johnny comes up with a really, really bad name and calls Freddie this even worse name. So Freddie shoves Johnny. Well, Johnny then pushes Freddie over. Freddie gets up and punches Johnny. Johnny gets a stick and hits Freddie and Freddie gets a bigger stick. You've seen that, haven't you? Or, Or you've probably done that. I've been a child. I know that I've done something like that. We tend to outdo each other in getting back at each other. Isn't that sad? But it's true. But in the church, we're being told here that we should love each other so much that it's not getting back at each other that escalates. We are to outdo one another in showing honour. Hey, isn't that a a good way to look at it, hey? We outdo one another in showing honour. Right, well... Schulze shows honour to Scott, and, and Scott says, well, I'm going to show more honour than that, and, and it just escalates. We just love each other that much. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Genuine love is a love that serves. Uh, you know, something that I've noticed for a long time is for some people, when they first become a Christian, they're on fire for God. They're just full of beans. They're full of enthusiasm for God and, and they do anything for him and they're really active. They're sharing their faith all over the place and they're telling other people about Jesus and inviting them to church. But then over time, the zealousness just seems to wane a little bit and their enthusiasm goes down a bit. They still love God. But they seem to have settled into this new, bland normality. It's not new anymore. It's not exciting anymore. I've got a friend who describes himself as a stodgy Christian. And he's very honest when he does that. Um, this fellow is actually a POM, uh, but he was actually converted from Islam and um, when he became a christian he was just so enthusiastic for the gospel i only got to know him after he'd become stodgy um but you know what amazes me it perplexes me is that he's not really doing anything to get out of the stodginess he's just settled down into the normality of being a stodgy christian And maybe you've become a stodgy Christian. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit and make us zealous for you. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in trouble. Be constant in prayer. No matter what's going on around us, we have this great hope. This certain hope. You know, usually when we talk about hope, we sort of think, oh, I hope that might happen, as if it's a, a vain hope that may possibly happen. Like, I hope I might win the lotto. It's unlikely to happen because I don't buy a ticket. But that's not the sort of hope we have in Jesus. The hope that we have is a sure hope. It's a certain hope. We know that this is going to happen. We know that, that we have been saved. We know that Jesus is returning again. We know that he's going to take us to be with him. It's not a vain hope. And so we, because we have this great hope, this certain hope, we can wait patiently for the Lord in all of our times of trouble and hardship and tribulation. But this should never be just a period of activity. When we're waiting for God, it's not a period of activity. What we're being told here is to be constant in prayer. I think a better translation would be to persist in prayer. Right? I don't think it means that that um, we're constantly praying. So you go to the shop and, and the shopkeeper says, um, right, oh, that's going to be $32, thanks. And, and you say, oh, thank you very much. Okay. I don't think we're talking about that sort of constant prayer. What we're talking about is being persistent in our prayer. Don't give up on praying. You know, sometimes we might be praying for something and it might God mightn't be answering that prayer. And of course we have to leave room for the sovereignty of God in that. But that doesn't mean, because God isn't answering that prayer, that doesn't mean that we should ever give up praying for that. Or that we should ever give up praying full stop. Prayer is just so important. Persist in praying. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In the early church, when one of their number uh, were in need, the rest of the church would rally to their aid. And we've got to remember that that this was a time and it was a society where there was no social security, there was no government aid. um, And we're probably pretty unfamiliar with that. For me, I think it was... Was it 2002 when I broke my ankle, Robin? Yeah. 2002, I broke my ankle really badly. Um, The surgeon used the word pulverised. And um, when the consultant, like the top dog, visited me the second day, he said to me, Michael, I hope that when the doctors have been... Speaking to you about this injury, they used the word big and used it often. Uh, that left me feeling really good. He said, I, I can't tell you enough how bad this injury is. And I guess it was while I was in hospital that it dawned on me the realization that if I was living in Jesus' day, there would have been no medical treatment for my ankle. Uh, probably highly likely it would have got infected and I would have died. But if it didn't, then I would have been a cripple for the rest of my life. Um, and I realise that I would have been the beggar on the side of the road, begging just for a few coins that I could feed my family, until they got old enough to look after me, um, which I think they're just about hard now. Um, <laughs> but there are plenty of Christians in the world today who need our help just to survive and if our love is genuine the natural thing to do is to contribute to the needs of the saints you know the saying charity begins at home charity begins with our family doesn't it yep and we're quite certain about that well the saints are our family remember I got you to look around before this is your family And not just in this little church. You have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. And they're your family. And it's a natural expression of our genuine love to care for them. And to contribute to their needs. And it says, seek to show hospitality. That means pursue it. Go out of your way to be hospitable. Insist on being hospitable. It literally means demonstrate your love to a stranger. Yeah, you know, we tend to think of hospitality as having our friends over for a meal. That's not what biblical hospitality is. Biblical hospitality is giving a bed to a stranger when he has nowhere to stay. And why wouldn't we if that stranger is your brother or sister in Christ? It's just a natural expression of your love for your family. Wow. That's where genuine love takes us. We're going to be reading more about that uh, next week. That's about as far as we're going to go for now. But when our love is genuine, this is a radical picture of the church in action. And that's just natural. And that can be a picture of our church if our love is genuine. But the question is, do we want that kind of radical Christianity? Do you? Do you want that kind of radical love? I hope so that's what the kingdom of god is all about loving each other without boundaries and that love extending out into the world and we're going to see more of that love talked about next week let's pray lord jesus christ we thank you for the genuine love the unhypocritical love that you've shown us lord help us to love like that Make our hearts like your heart, that we would be repulsed by evil like you're repulsed by evil. But Lord, help us to love the sinner as you love the sinner. Lord, give us wisdom to recognize what is good and give us strength to hold fast to what is good. Lord, help us to love our brothers in Christ as a church, Give us a tangible, genuine affection for one another. That we would outdo one another in showing honour. Lord, we repent of our slothfulness. Fill us with your spirit and give us a zeal to serve. We rejoice, Lord, in the hope that you've given us. Help us to be patient in times of trouble and never give up on praying. And Lord, give us generous hearts that we would support the work of your church here, that we would support the work of your church overseas, and that we would be quick to support our fellow Christians in their hour of need, even the stranger. Lord, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in my life. Your kingdom come in this church. Lord, make our love genuine in Jesus Christ. Amen.